Hello and welcome to episode 251 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for stopping by. Also, stay classy. That's an Anchorman reference, just in case you didn't know. My guest today is Mr. Adam Vicarell. He is a creative director and designer from Vicarell Studios, which is a massive creative conglomerate. Huge company, that Vicarell Studios. During this episode, we talk about some of Adam's early creative influences to his career, one being his brother and seeing the sort of cartoon and illustration work that he did when he was younger, and the comment that a teacher made that really helped him understand that merger, that overlap between the art and the design worlds. We also talk about spreading your skills out and not having all your eggs in one basket and the importance of sketching, getting those ideas down on paper or your electronic paper, you iPad folks. Even if the ideas suck, even if the visual is not there, it's not a beautiful drawing of the, the packaging you envision or the logo you envision, but just the idea is there. The, the little nuggets are down there on the page. Adam then shares with us why going out on his own and the recent pandemic have been the most challenging periods of time in his career. He also shares with us how he lost $30,000 in business within 30 hours when the pandemic really kicked off. Yikes, what a kick in the gut. Adam then shares with us the struggle with missing the mark when presenting new brand designs and new ideas to customers and how to handle that. And then we talk about a recent pivot he has made with his business into the fitness space, why he made the decision, how he's been pulling that off and how it all came together. And most importantly, how's it going? All that and so much more in this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. So let's get to it. My fantastic guest today, Mr. Adam Vicarell. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Adam, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Dave. Stoked to be here, man. Fantastic. It's been a bit of back and forth finally align the schedules and let's make this happen. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, you seem a little eager, but before we get going, are you ready for a quickie, Adam? You know I am. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's kick it over to you. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Adam Vicarell. I'm a 32-year-old uh, graphic designer and creative director based in Denver, Colorado. I have a background in traditional graphic design. And when I moved out to Denver about, about seven years ago now, I very naively decided to pursue a career kind of on my own terms. So I started a, a boutique design studio, very creatively named Vicarell Studios. Nice. Super original. Yeah. I bet <laughs> my teachers are real proud when they see that creativity coming out. Um, and yeah, so the, the work that we specialize in is mainly uh, branding and lettering based. Mm -hmm. Lots of illustration, packaging. It's, it's really a little bit of everything, but with a root of, of, or a focus in branding and typography. 
Um, and again, it kind of manifests itself as, as murals, as ad campaigns, as packaging, as branding. And most recently, not to make this too long-winded, but most recently I have articulated a like a desire to push my career more into the the fitness and wellness industries. And that really is fortunately being self-employed. I have the opportunity to kind of take the reins of my career and push it where mm -hmm. I want. And I'm taking advantage of that and I'm really pushing hard. So thankfully over the last two years, it's kind of starting to actually happen and I'm excited to see where it goes. Awesome. You know, isn't it it's like, it takes such a long time sometimes from that idea of, okay, I'm going to pivot into this direction and sort of like niche down in this direction for it to actually start working. And you just see like consistent business coming from that particular niche. Yep. And it is uh, deeply satisfying when you actually see it happening or experience it happening. Uh, yeah. It almost feels surreal, honestly. You almost don't even notice it until it hits you one day. Oh, totally. I, I, so I do a year end, uh, like a year end review at the end yep. of every year, December, January. And it's honestly, it's just like a four hour process that gives me the opportunity both personally and professionally to reflect on what the year just was. And at the end of 2018, going into 2019, I basically acknowledged that fitness and just moving my body is such a big part of my life mm -hmm. that, that why not kind of infuse that into my career in some capacity. And then about a year and a half later, I somehow uh, had the opportunity to be an ambassador for Lululemon, which for that to be the, the like the foray into infusing fitness and design, it's yeah. like, all right, I'll take that. Like it was, yeah, that's a not, decent first client to start with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It totally caught me off guard. Yeah. I actually like teared up and kind of cried when it happened just cause it was just, it also happened during, so I guess it was a, a little over a year that it happened, but it happened during the pandemic. So it happened last year. Yeah. So I'm all discombobulated. Everything in life feels like it's on fire and, you know, melting beneath me. And then for that brand to be like, Hey, we'd love for you to work with us and represent us. It's like, yeah, oh. all right. that's amazing. What a powerful moment. And I remember back early pandemic days. Um, I believe it was, I'm part of your email list, Adam, just so mm. you know, um, I, I got an email. I'm pretty sure you sent out an email saying something like I just lost $60,000 in business or something like that. It was some obscene number. And that was actually the first moment that the reality of this is nuts what's going on right now actually hit me. You know, sort of finally seeing somebody call out the numbers in the impact of their life financially. And I was like, holy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very scary. It was actually... So it was 30K in 30 hours. So it's 30 grand worth of- 30K, of 30 hours, that's yeah, what it was. But, yeah, but ultimately over the following, you know, then over the 10 day period, it ended up being 50K. So in just <sighs> over a week and a half, it was 50 grand. And that was all work that I had signed contracts. Uh, I hadn't yet received deposits. And even though the contract was signed, everybody was like, we don't care. It's a pandemic. Yeah. We're not doing this. Sorry, and, bro. This is the wild card. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that, in, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, I'm going to talk to my lawyer. And despite this global pandemic that nobody knows anything about, we're yeah. going to court. It's like, yeah. you know, you, <laughs> Good you luck. don't flex. Yeah, exactly. You don't flex on that. So no, yeah, exactly. that was, it was scary. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm going to roll the dice and think we're going to get into that in a little bit deeper, a little bit later on in this episode, but let's keep it. Uh, let's kick it back in time a little bit here first. What was your childhood like, Adam? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that led you down this path? Yes. Uh, in some ways I do. I feel like I spent, um, I've always been 
very experimental as an individual, always messing around with stuff. And maybe less so my childhood and more so moving into high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Candidly, in uh, in high school, may or may not have dabbled with a little bit of the the pots. And so for that reason- (laughs) You mean like pottery class, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ceramics. 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 Love that class. Yeah. So good. Um, And so with that, I was interested in in just like being creative and honestly, just not being in history class and in taking a lot of art classes, a, one of my teachers identified like, Hey Adam, you should maybe like push this a little bit further and convince me to take the, the AP art class. And so that was really the moment um, that I realized like, Oh my gosh, maybe I am innately more creative than I thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was more so a, a later in life in high school than it was my actual childhood. Got it. So when you sort of started making that pivot or that that direction started opening up for you, did you have a, an aunt, an uncle, or a mom or dad or somebody who was already, you know, in that creative or design space that could sort of coach you along it? Or did you just make that decision first one in the family to do it? Uh, I had, so my older brother was, he was a really talented cartoonist. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still convinced had he pursued it, he could have made a, a comfortable living doing it. Yep. And it was the classic little brother, older brother situation where I wanted to be just like Matt. So I pretended like I liked cartooning. Um, and it was something though, that once I started doing it, I was like, oh, I actually do kind of enjoy this. Uh, so I think it was partially that. Honestly, that's kind of the first memories of being interested in anything creative was the trying to be like the older brother. But my my mother is also a... She's not like a trained interior designer, but she absolutely has an eye for it. So yeah. our house has always been very aesthetically considered and uh, you know really beautiful because of her her taste and her eye. Nice. So yeah, so you were surrounded by some creativity and some some things that were like visually stimulating to the point where you could draw connections, um, you know, between those things when you started pursuing that creative direction. Yes, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Beauty. So this next question, Adam, is I would say probably the second hardest that I go through. The first one being tell the listeners about yourself. The second um, is what or is there something that stands out to you as the most influential design or piece of art um, that you've seen so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you since? Uh, so can it be a, a comment from a, a design teacher as opposed yes. to a physical piece of art? Yes. Cool. Because if you said no, then I would have no idea what to say. <laughs> <You got nothing>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, so it was a, so it was two things that kind of happened around a similar period of time, and it was my my freshman year of college. I I was going back and forth. You know, as I mentioned in high school, I was getting into the getting into the arts. I moved mm-hmm. into the AP art program where I did. I don't remember if it was 12 or 24 uh, paintings that year. I'd never painted before. So it really like forced me to hone this craft quickly. And so I fell in love with painting at the end of high school. I didn't even really know what graphic design was going into college. And my dad encouraged it. He's in marketing. So he understands the value of a, what a graphic designer or like an art director, creative director can bring. So he encouraged it, but he definitely didn't say like, you can't major in painting. But so, so with that, I was kind of back and forth. Do I want to do painting? Do I want to do design? And I was having a conversation with one of my teachers my freshman year, kind of talking through this, like, I don't know, this obstacle, this choice. I, I just couldn't decide what to do. Mm-hmm. And he said, a, it's not very profound, but his, his quote was, uh, you know, Adam, 
the greatest designers think like fine artists and the greatest fine artists think like designers. And at the time, the quote was to, it was kind of intended to say that if you pick one, you're not necessarily like eschewing the other. You can do mm -hmm. a little bit of both together at the same time. Yeah. And again, it's not like a super articulate or succinct, profound quote by any means. But for some reason, the way in which he said it at the time he said it really, really resonated with me. And then later that year, I came across a designer and artist, Blaine Fontana, who is truly an artist and designer that is like the, the coalescence of, of fine art and graphic design. And mm -hmm. so to hear that quote and to find Blaine's art within the kind of same year or so period of time, it like blew my mind. And I was like, okay, like this, this is somehow going to be what I pursue. Um, and I've spent the last whatever, 15 years trying to figure out how to do it and how to articulate it. And only as of like the last year, have I slowly started to harness that. And so like from the outside looking in, just, just basing this on, you know, the visuals that I've seen on your website and the emails that you send out in your Instagram, that merger between art and design, like that's what you do. Yes, like that's exactly. What it looks like to, to me as a consumer looking, looking in at the, the work that you put out, it's that, that balance between the two. And especially when you get into the packaging space, I mean, the packaging space is, is pure design. Like that's design. You're designing a box to get a reaction and there's, um, you know, there's things to consider in, in people's behavior while you're designing that piece, but you've infused it with the art side. Yep. And that's, you know, how I kind of position my business, um, you know, the artful implementation of strategic design. We mm -hmm. think like brand strategists and art directors, and we execute with the processes or techniques of fine artists. So it really does have this unique fusion of, of something that looks awesome because yeah. it resonates with you, the consumer, mm -hmm. but it also does just have that kind of cool factor, which I'm sure one of my design teachers is squirming, thinking like, you can't design anything just because it's cool. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and disagree because it's yeah. working for a lot of brands. Yeah, you can. You can design things just to get a reaction. And that's, you know, in the, the couple of roles that I've held in the print industry, you know, as brand manager roles, you know, there's this consistent theme in the print world that it's very old school. And I went to an award show for printers. So all the printers in Canada, the, um, I think it was literally the Canadian print awards. <laughs> Anyways. So all Whatever. of these older guys who are, you know, 70 plus who built incredible businesses and have done incredible things for the print and design community. We're all like, it's time for the next generation, but we don't know how to get them involved. So somebody else take that on. And that's how they all left the stage. And I thought, you know what? He's so right. There's, you know, being younger myself, I'm 35, I'm 35. And I- you sure about that? <laughs> 21, 20 minus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you look at the space and there's no printer out there at all that is connecting well with, the, with designers, with the younger audience. No printers on TikTok. No right. printer is taking advantage of Instagram reels, but that's how people are connecting with that sort of next generation right now. So, I mean, my, the first printer to pick that up and to take that on is going to, is going to win. They're going to do a lot of great things. Yeah. And do, do you think, are you familiar with mama sauce? 
Yeah, yeah. Nick at Mama Sauce. I think they do probably the closest of, mm-hmm. a, of a good job of, of that. Like they do really well. They've got a great brand. It's clever. Like nobody would think a printer would call themselves Mama Sauce. So that in itself is unique and cool. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, great point that they do a really good job on the commercial print, like the offset print side, uh, the guys doing packaging and things like that. Yeah, yeah. like screen printing, Rizograph, like those are letterpress, those are yeah, the like sexy industry print things, job. right? Yeah, yeah industry yeah, does a, a great job. Yeah. Um, but that commercial printer where they're producing, you know, the catalogs and, you know, because 80 to 90% of the printed things out there aren't letterpress, aren't screen print. They're, yep. they're commercial, like offset printed. Mm-hmm. But nobody's like, nobody's talking about it or nobody's representing that column. So there is a, yeah, there's some big shoes to fill right there. And that could be a very lucrative business. So hopefully Mm -hmm. somebody is hearing this and whenever, whoever's listening, when you guys start making money, uh, Dave and I need some royalties. Just putting that out there. We put it out there. So just so you know, (laughs) this is, this is intellectual property here. Exactly. Yeah. It's recorded. There's evidence. (laughs) So Adam, we talked about some of the influential sort of moments and and advice that you got. You know, when you look at the design space out there in the the way that Instagram is sort of dominating this creative visual space, are there any brands or designers that stand out to you that you closely follow or look up to? And and what about them do you like? Yeah, I would say so. As I mentioned, um, you know, Blaine Fontana, who has since become uh, actually a buddy of mine. But uh, I think he does a really great job kind of combining that art design world. Um, Somebody else I really look up to who he's a former designer turned photographer Mm -hmm. uh, named Garrett King, who goes by short stash uh, on Instagram. And he is the, he's like the classic Instagram account that you'd follow and be like, nobody lives a life like that. Cause he's just constantly, you know, he's in Japan shooting from a helicopter and then he's in Iceland, you know, doing X, Y, and scuba diving. Um, and as a, uh, a travel lover myself and an outdoorsman to see somebody like him who has, uh, as a, you know, a one man photography business, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Burkhart, another, or Jimmy Chin, other great examples of professional photographers that do this. Um, I I'm really enamored by people who fuse their life passion <clears throat> with their work passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I mentioned with the infusion of, of kind of fitness into my creative career, I, I'm trying to kind of harness that. And for me, photographers have always done it best because at least seemingly their profession affords them the opportunity to more easily justify that travel, you know, for the super boutique hotel in Indonesia or the, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it's, it seems like there's more opportunity for them to travel and kind of get out there and do fun, adventure stuff and document that. So, uh, I, I think Jimmy Chin, Chris Burkhard, um, Garrett King, Blaine Fontana, that's a lot of different names, but those would kind of be people that really, uh, kind of embody that and, and inspire me a lot. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Aaron Sullivan as well, is a similar travel photographer and writer. That's so cool. And you, you know what? You're right. You know, you kind of pack up a camera and offer to take some photos for a hotel, show your awesome work. And it, 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 in a way it does sort of open up some doors to that travel direction that, you know, would be harder for someone else to get into. Um, so since you're in the fitness space, what if you just like reached out to these hotels and said, Hey, do you want a fit dude to work out in your lobby? <laughs> if, if you, if you need that, I, I know. Think it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you want me to come in and, and just like, 
I'll even just eat a donut in the lobby, but I'll pop my top off. You yeah, know, exactly. Like make sure I'm always slightly following the sun, slowly <laughs> turning. Exactly. Just, uh, always winking awkwardly at people who walk in. I think that's a bulletproof plan. Yeah, it's so funny. I just I saw an Instagram post from one of my friends this morning, and uh, not a like super fit dude. He's not a massive guy, but not a super fit guy. But the way he was walking outside, I guess, and saw his shadow, the way it was lit up on his garage, and he's like damn my shadow's been working out <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> he, he snapped a picture of it he just looked like this ripped cut guy <laughs> just the per- perfect angle angles are everything yeah. man that's right that perfect lighting yeah that's amazing that's fun man so the next stuff that i'm going to get into is the tough stuff but before i get there i wanted to pull your instagram account up on the screen here and just randomly select two or three posts that stand out to me i want to hear a little story behind them what went into them even if it was just like man i ate those chicken wings because they were delicious gosh i did all you can eat wings like a week and a half ago and it was first time in years it was amazing oh that's fantastic how many did you get there did you count yeah i got so it was 32 which yep. is, it's a good amount of wings. But That's a good amount. In my head, I was like, I'm hitting 50. And <laughs> to, to be like full at 20 and then to yep. somehow power through to 32, I was like, wow, I'm just disappointing myself left yep. and right here. Did you drink with it? Like, did you have a beer with it? Oh, come on, Dave. Of course I did. <laughs> of course you did. Who goes to all you can eat wings and doesn't drink beers? <laughs> exactly. No, I got a water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the lemon. Yeah, I got a similar story a year, year and a bit ago. Like when I was younger in college, we went to this place right by our uh, other school called Finnegan's and you can get 10 cent wings. This is back when you can get 10 cent wings. Go in there, order a beer and a hundred wings. It's like 13 bucks. And I would That's power so through a hundred wings. No problem with the guys. Pitcher a beer. No problem. I went out yeah. with my cousin. Both of us have three kids. We're in our mid thirties. And yeah, same thing. We hit like 22 wings and we're like, there's still two baskets of untouched wings. Cause we just ordered. Yeah. Yep. Like, and then oh you're, you're God. like, you somehow have a wing hangover for like three days. <laughs> like I'm never eating chicken sweaty? again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The wing sweat is real. It is very real. Awesome. So I, I want to pull this post up because um, I, I read this one, I saw this one and I think you moved some real serious product recently and I wanted to just sort of shout that out and hear a little bit about it. Yeah. Appreciate you highlighting this one. Um, yeah. So I, I don't necessarily focus on product sales as mm-hmm. a large part of my business. Mm-hmm. It's always been something I've done a little bit on the side and more than anything, most of the products I sell are, uh, pieces that I've experimented with a style or a process that I ultimately people express interest in. So I make a print of it. Mm-hmm. And so having done that for a couple of years, I've amassed a good amount of products. And I recently had a wholesale order um, with a previous client of mine that as noted in this post, it was the largest wholesale of order that I've ever received. Um, it was, I forget the exact number, but it was like 260 or 270 framed prints and canvases. 262. Uh, you're a diligent reader, Gabe. <laughs> If I do say so myself. Um, and uh, so it was a really exciting, um, I think, like kind of moment where it reminded me the importance. Uh, kind of in this post, I kind of talk about the most millionaires have seven revenue streams. Mm-hmm. There's our like real estate, dividends, stock, op- you know, whatever, way, yeah. way more interesting than mine. Mine are like wholesale product sales, services, online workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it reminded me the importance of, of having uh, the opportunity to make money outside of 
just doing work and getting paid for the hour that go, or the hours that go into that work. Mm -hmm. Something like this is work that I've done over the years. You know, all of these drawings are at least five years old, if not older. Mm -hmm. um, some of the first lettering pieces that I ever did. And this wholesale order was just shy of six grand. Granted, that uh, that does not include the cost of the goods. So, you know, there's that's not all profit, but all in all, it's a it's a very lucrative um, little sale for me. So it, very exciting. Um, and this photo was me being really tired and laying in a parking lot covered <laughs> by a small portion of the campuses. <laughs> that's fantastic. You know what? You're, you're so right. And especially, you know, during this last year and a bit with COVID, it's really pointed out that, you know, if you're fully invested in one direction, some unforeseen thing can come along and completely derail that direction. 100%. So spreading out, you know, these different income streams in different parts of your business um, is definitely an important thing. Yes, agreed. And just to say one more thing on that, uh, I could rabbit hole on this for about six hours if we wanted to, but the, the, I think people focus on niching down in a way where it's like you heard that being a specialist can, you can make more money, which mm -hmm. oftentimes is the case. Mm -hmm. But if you niche down so much so that you are in one industry doing one thing for one type of client, to your point, if something like this pandemic happens, all yeah. of a sudden, all your eggs are in that one basket. And mm -hmm. for you to pivot is like for you to you know fully re-network your network. So yeah. uh, I've always been an advocate for you know having a finger over there, dipping a toe over there, trying some yeah. of this, trying some of that. And it's really, um, really helped me grow and stabilize my career. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I'm I'm in the same boat with you there. And that's what I've always suggested is that, you know, yeah, you can specialize and sort of be known for something, but don't exclusively do that. Yeah. Have some other opportunities and avenues. And, and my example of this, because I'm so passionate about print, is print. And that's what I teach over at Print Design Academy is where, you know, even if you aren't going to be a print designer and exclusively design packaging and print it is in your best interest to at least understand it and know how to do it. And, you know, even when you're branding or you're creating a campaign for a customer who's got an upcoming launch or whatever you're doing in your own sort of specific avenue, understanding print and where it fits just allows you to offer a better solution to that customer. If yep. you exclusively do website design and branding, but one of the best things for this customer's upcoming launch is direct mail, but you don't know how to design for print. Well, it's almost a disservice by not pushing that or not saying, Hey, this is what I'm thinking is a good fit. And if you don't understand it, of course, you're not going to talk about it or, or push it like that just makes sense. Yep. So Great point. understanding, like just having a general understanding of each of these things. So you can advise a client and say, you know what? Here's my specialty. Here's what I think. But you should also do a website on this. You should also do some print and direct mail based around this campaign. And I'm going to bring this guy in who's a pro in print, but I understand it. And here's why I think it's a good fit. Yep. Yeah. Right. Totally agree. Same boat there. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's go through here. Twinsies. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, this is cool. Let's pull this one up. Oh, that went big. There we go. Uh, yeah, so this one was a, um, you know, a lot of what I do in Dave, you said you're, you're on the newsletter for anybody who's listening and interested. I do write a, a weekly newsletter that goes out every Monday that kind of mm -hmm. talks about my experience perceptions, 
blah, blah, blah of the creative industry and the process of being a creative entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And something I've realized uh, in myself earlier on and people that I know currently, a lot of people are like ashamed by their inability to sketch well. People feel like, you know, I'm not a good drawer, so I can't be a successful designer or something to that effect. And so this particular piece, I wanted to highlight that my, at least my like quick thumbnail sketches that I'm frequently showing to clients, embarrassingly, mm -hmm. um, they're not good. I mean, you, they're bad. I'll, let's call it what it is. <laughs> That's a bad drawing on the left. Um, and I wanted to highlight that I, if that's what's coming out of my hand innately, but ultimately I'm then able to translate it into, you know, this nice, engaging, fun packaging mm -hmm. that's used for, you know, a, a national beer company. Um, you know, my hope was showing it's like, if you're bad at drawing, you can still do awesome things for awesome clients. And uh, I thought that kind of mocking this up in this way where it's, that was the initial thumbnail sketch on the left, the right, I wanted to showcase what the actual illustration uh, at least on the back side of the can, ultimately looked like, mm -hmm. and thought it was just kind of a fun before and after. No, that's brilliant. I I love how you said that, and that's, uh, you know, I agree there, man. You're speaking my language here today. I was helping a customer, a large um, bank that's looking at going national, and they wanted to do this big direct mail campaign to all of their members and sort of promote this move to from provincial to national. And um, I said, you know, why don't we take your logo, which has part of a Canadian flag in it? And rather than just sending out a regular postcard, like, why don't we do half of the postcard as like half of a maple leaf? Just some sort of unique shape that'll still go through the mailing system fine. But when it arrives at a customer, it's going to get that extra attention because it's not just a standard Wendy's postcard or McDonald's flyer. It's yep. something that's different and stands out. It's going to get that little bit of extra attention. Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but what do you mean? Can you draw me a picture of that? And I drew this horrible Ooh. picture. I even looked up, I'm like, how do you draw a maple leaf? And it honestly looked like half of a postcard and half of a pot leaf. And yep. I just I sent it along. I'm like, this is this is the idea. It's a terrible drawing, but they got it and they instantly visualized it. Like, yeah, 100 percent That's the way we want to go. Yep. So to your point, it doesn't have to be pretty, but trying to describe something versus showing, even if it's a bad visual some kind of visual yep. helps yeah. people connect a hundred percent. And I've always been a proponent for your, at least your thumbnail and initial exploratory sketches. They're not intended to be look, they're, they're not intended to look good. The, their sole purpose is to get an idea from your head onto mm -hmm. paper. So you can then move on. So you yep. can just iterate and iterate and iterate. And that's what enables you to come up with those best ideas. Cause you're not focusing on nuanced details or perfection at all. Yep. 100%. You're just, you're getting the ideas down and that's the start. Yep, exactly. Let's go packaging because this is really cool and standing out to me. So tell me about this one, this mindful bar packaging. Yes. Yeah, so this was, um, this is actually an exciting project. So my designer, Carly, who's been working with me for, I guess, a year-ish now, yep. um, really mostly full-time for the last, uh, since December. Um, this was like one of the main projects that she focused on towards the end of last year. Um, it's a new food bar. Um, this was an instance where people, a lot of people in the community preach, you should never do free work or work for less money than what your quote unquote normal rate is. And, uh, I firmly disagree. I think mm -hmm. there's a smart way to approach doing, uh, we'll call it discounted work. But, mm -hmm. um, if you approach it correctly, you have the opportunity to get your foot into a door in a new industry, build the right connections, network, et cetera. Um, and so this was a, uh, a project where it was substantially lower than the budget that we would normally charge. However, 
we had an opportunity to get into kind of wellness packaging um, and the the more consumer packaged goods, which is always fun mm-hmm. to do. Um, so yeah, the idea is it's, it's a bar that helps uh, combat anxiety and uh, is also made for focus. And so the idea with the overpowering gradient is we wanted to convey the idea of a shift from one mood to another, um, positive to negative, or I guess negative to positive. Um, yeah, the idea of a gradient is not new in the, um, the wellness industry by any means, but it felt really appropriate. Um, and then bringing in a, a kind of fun approachable illustration style, mm-hmm. some hand lettering on the left that really calls out that slogan made with your mood in mind. Um, yeah, it was a really, really fun project. Definitely learned a lot. Um, a lot about printing. Probably should have hit you up, Dave. Um, <laughs> so, we all learned uh, somehow, Adam. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a fun project and awesome uh, for my designer, Carly, to really lean into like her first proper packaging project. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And actually, the gradient reminds me of sort of those mind maps that you see when they're mapping out the brain and you get all the different colored hot spots and things like that, but sort of a creative spin on it. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. how we sold it through. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a really cool one. Okay, last yep, one I'm going to pull up um, is this one here, this mural one. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so this was a, a mural that uh, my girlfriend Becca and I painted uh, yep. in January. I forget, wait, beginning of this year, I believe. Okay. And um, we, th- it's this very prominent wall right off of one of the main streets in Denver, mm-hmm. uh, a wall that as soon as I moved here, I probably saw it within the first week. And I've driven past it for years and always been like, ah, it'd be so amazing to paint there one day. And then totally out of the blue, uh, my buddy, Eric Friedenson goes by F dot sent me a story. And it was the person who lives at this place basically posted and said, Hey, looking for somebody to paint this wall. And I looked and that person happened to be a friend of mine. I had no idea that she lived here. So long story short, had the opportunity, uh, Becca and I were stoked to paint something Her illustration style is super approachable and hand-drawn, as is my lettering. So our work innately works together really nicely. And not seen in this image, but on the left and right, it says foster change. And so it, uh, you know, came at a time of the last year and a half has just been insane between, we don't need to get into politics, but between politics, George Floyd, pandemic, Mm -hmm. the the BLM movement. I mean, there's just like so much happening and we really wanted to convey something that was positive and optimistic. These hands holding this moth, butterfly, uh, beautiful creature, the idea of metamorphosis. You're like this gross, haggard caterpillar. You become this beautiful uh, moth or butterfly um, and the idea of fostering change. So really doing what you can to support that growth and that mm-hmm. beauty in the long run. Beautiful. I love the symbolism there. That's awesome. Yeah, and getting to work you. with your girlfriend on a project, that's pretty rad. It's so dreamy. It's a blessing and a curse though. It's like in many ways, it's like, <laughs> yes, we both get each other. And then yeah. other times it's, you know, 11 PM on Tuesday and we're both like, you still working on that illustration? It's like, yeah, right. exactly. yeah. Jesus, just give me a smile for heaven's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's real. Awesome. That's great. And actually I interviewed Becca back in episode 201 for those who haven't checked it out. Perfect. Yeah, okay. Definitely need to check out her work. She's so talented. Yeah, it was so funny when I first sort of reached out to her. Uh, I think it was through Instagram. She's like, you want to interview me? Really? It's like, yeah, we're just like all kinds of creatives who are illustrating and murals and just all these different avenues, even if they've, you know, not a Aaron Draplin or a big name or anything like that. Yeah, we want, everybody has a story. Everybody. Yeah, totally. Does. Well, speaking of stories, Adam, I got to get into the tough times for yours. 
So next couple questions take you through part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons. I don't want to pull those stories out with you and share those with the audience. After that, we'll turn the bus around. We'll finish up in a happy place. Sounds good. So what has been the most challenging period of time in your career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? So I would, it, it feels like almost the obvious uh, mm-hmm. of, of saying this past year. <clears throat> um, and I think, so it was this past year, but also the very beginning when I first started and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to start my own business, you know, mm-hmm. for the first three years. I made almost no money working mm-hmm. 80 hours a week. So that in itself was a challenge. But I think in more recent times, the the pandemic, because <clears throat> for the last, call it four years, I've had a uh, successful design career in terms of uh, use successful representing the idea that I'm co- be able to comfortably live based off of my design. Mm-hmm. And um money has not been a concern. I've been stable and I've had consistent work with great clients. So I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to have that. And so for three or four years of becoming accustomed to that, mm-hmm. then to go into the pandemic and, you know, 30K in 30 hours just pulled out from underneath me, the ensuing, you know, week and a half to then lose another 20K of work. Uh, it, for the first time in years, rattled me in a way where I had the like, oh shit, I actually don't know what I'm going to do. You know, to, to top it off, I had just bought a house at the end of 2019. So for the first time in my life, I had amassed a, you know, insane amount of debt. Uh, <laughs> <that> invested <laughs> yes. in this house. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so to, to have that happen so closely after purchasing a home, it, I literally just felt like a baby deer on brand new legs and it, I feel like I have a pretty clear direction of where I'm going and what I'm doing for the most part. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of last year, I, I was so rattled by that experience that I just did not know what to do. Um, and, you know, I was like, of course, I was reaching out to my my network, people I've worked with in the past, but it was the beginning of the pandemic. So everybody's like, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was by far uh, one of the scariest moments. I mentally and emotionally struggled for a while with that. Um, and fortunately, in terms of how I came out on the other side of it all, it was just a uh, uh, kind of like the the band-aid of time. Just with each passing day, it got a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, fortunately, you know, I'm a saver. I'm a pretty frugal person as well. So I was lucky that losing all of that work didn't, screw me. You know, Mm -hmm. I I was able to get by. Um, and I also was lucky to through my past network, which I think is something I don't want to, uh, I want to highlight is your network is everything. Mm -hmm. In my my main keynote talk, I use the term, your network is your net worth. It's like the people that you know are everything, foster Mm -hmm. those relationships, build those relationships. Um, but through using and leaning into my network, I was able to get some connections to work with a company, who gave me a lot of work right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so I was able to kind of get busy pretty quick after that initial hit. Yeah. They ultimately then went bankrupt and still owe me some money. So that's not perfect, but that's, <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> but in the moment it was like, okay, we'll be good. We'll it be was good. the life, life preserver I needed for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I just want to, I just want to linger in a painful moment just for a minute. Um, when you get that first phone call or email of the first project that was being put on pause or, or dropped, 
did you think like this is just the beginning or did you think, ah, oh, no big deal. I still got all this other stuff. Yeah. I, I think it was. It, so in that moment, nobody knew what COVID was going to be. You know, yeah. it was like, I, I specifically remember when we first went into quarantine, I remember being like, this is pretty ridiculous. But I was like, it'll be over in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I, I had no idea what was around the corner. So I didn't, I didn't think that every other, it was almost all, it was almost exclusively murals that pulled the plug because it was mm-hmm. non-essential work for their business. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't necessarily foresee that that was going to happen, but I mean, it was basically all within a day that all of them pulled the plug, which it's, it's almost like coincidental Bizarre. that they all had the wherewithal to be like, Hey, just so you know, that project we were working on. Um, so it, it, I almost didn't have the time to process. Um, cause I was also, you know, in my gut, I was like, Oh my God, the global pandemic, like, what does this mean? We're going in lockdown. Yeah. So I think it all happened so quickly. It all happened all at once yeah. that it wasn't really until the end of that week that I was like, Holy shit, I'm screwed. Um, and that was then when I, the article that we were, we're kind of referencing, I then spent almost probably 30 hours interviewing like 30 art, artists, designers, strategists from around the world, talking to them about like, what happened to you? What are you doing? How are yeah. you going to survive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. And I mean, in the reality of it, and, you know, further down the line, me being in print, whenever there's any sort of economic uncertainty, the first thing to get cut is the marketing budget. Yep. And the marketing budget affects the designers, the illustrators, um, the creative directors. It affects the printers further down the line. It affects like all of that thing because just they're not producing those promotional materials anymore. So you end up in this situation where you're like, okay, when are people going to feel good about spending money on design again? Right, exactly. And it's it's sad because marketing is oftentimes what keeps businesses afloat or makes them fly. So it's weird that it's the first thing that's cut, but I mean, I guess in some ways I get it, you know, I don't know. It's yeah. It's a a weird one. Yeah. It's a weird one. But what, what did happen and this sort of touches on the point that we talked about earlier, what did happen during this is that the designers who specialized in beer labels, who specialized in food packaging, they were busier than they've ever been. They were crazy busy. And the commercial printer that I'm with, we specialize in a lot of brewery, like brewery stuff, a lot of distillery stuff, um, a lot of food packaging and, and packaging for consumer products sold in stores. And as we know, grocery stores went crazy. Breweries were selling product everywhere. Liquor stores were busy. So all of that translated to the designers we work with and our print shop, and we were smoking busy. But yep, the- it's it's... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the guys out there who specialize in just your standard commercial print or your website design work and things like that just dried up. Everything got put on pause. Yep. I think it's you could you could kind of look at it from two different lights, but it highlights the importance of having, as we discussed earlier, you know, not your eggs in a couple different baskets. Yep. Um, but I think to your point, also the uh, the people who are specializing in something like that, I, I think you could also you know argue that it it is. In that instance, people are like, "Oh, this is the guy. Like, we need him right now." Yep. So, you, you know, there's an argument for both sides of that. Hundred percent. Yep. Totally agree. 
So now I want to get a little bit more specific, Adam. Can you take us to a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result? Um, what was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that project? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to give two options. One, I'm currently in the midst of, which I can't name it. Um, so if you're okay with it not naming, I'll go with that. But if not, I'll pick something else. Yeah, we usually do a not name in this one. Most people are more comfortable keeping the names quiet, but sharing Perfect. the details. Yep. So I'm currently doing a um, branding for a big cannabis company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am... <clears throat> So there is a like a strategy agency that has hired me to do the the brand design, mm -hmm. and this is one of those instances. And I, I'm I've worked with the strategy guys a handful of times before, so we know each other. We've worked on projects that have done really well together. Yep. Um, and this project currently, we have presented round one, round two, and round three. Mm -hmm. Round one, it was like all rooted in brand strategy. We're like feeling good. We have all these like reference articles that we've read. We're like we are crushing it. You present it and they're like, you missed like yeah, just straight no, up, like none, none of it. And I was like, oh, all right. And cool, it cool, was, cool, cool, yeah, cool, sweet, cool, sweet, sweet, cool. sweet, yeah, cool, great. Glad. Love it. Um, and it was, it was honestly, it was, it was, it has been and still is a great learning experience. Um, more than anything, I almost think it's good to be like humbled by, I, I am the first to admit, like, I'm not, awesome at what I do. I'm really good at selling and I'm really good at, I'm a good people person, but yeah. there's a billion designers who are way better than me. Um, and, but it's, it's not all about the design. There's way more to a design business than just the work itself. hundred uh, percent. And so, uh, it's a good reminder though, that it's like, you, you still have learning to do, you're still going to mess up. Um, so that was a good experience. And it also round two and three, both being like, eh, we're getting in the right direction. We're still not hitting it. Uh, so still not being able to appease the client in this instance um, has highlighted the uh, the imperative need for really clear communication. Mm -hmm. um, candidly, the client that we're working with, they are really, really like really busy, kind of like high level important people who are doing a lot of stuff and just, you know, they're doing all these million dollar things. And, you know, when you come down to the design, it feels like this little thing that they don't care about as much. Yeah but it, it's imperative and they understand that. So it's highlighting the absolute need for communication and conversation. And like, we can't just like skip through and hope we understood what you said just because you're too busy. It's like, yeah. if you're hiring us, you need to take the time to have the conversations that we need to have to, uh, in order to like have the ammunition to then uh, mm -hmm. create what we need to create. So uh, it, it, it's continually a great learning opportunity no idea what's going to happen or where it's going to land. Um, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat about it. It's it's the first project in a really long time that has been this bumpy. So yeah, yeah it's definitely. So so you're in the middle of the situation. You've you've presented round three. It's still kind of eh. So at what point do you go? Okay, guys, we're spending a lot more time on this. We you know, like the prices we agreed on, we got to add a little bit. This is what we need from you guys. Like, do you have that tough conversation or do you keep going on producing work until you get a thumbs up? Uh, great question. A conversation I literally just had yesterday. So it's, you know, I think it's, the answer is definitely not black or white. No, you know, it's definitely case by case mm -hmm. in this instance, you know, it's, it's a well-paid project. Uh, 
can absolutely justify putting some more time into it. You know, the, the hourly rate won't be what I hoped it would be, but it's still going to be great. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, I, I am a, a person who is more interested based off where we're currently at and, mm-hmm. um, and trying to maintain the relationship and not in a way where I'm, I'm screwing myself and walking away from money that I would deserve, but in a way where I see the faults that I made, you know, maybe places where I should have pushed back and said, no, this is my process or no, this conversation does need to be had. Yeah. And so in many ways, some of the misses at this point uh, are, are 100% on me. So I look at that as like, you need to eat some of that cost. Yeah. Um, I do think if we got into like, you know, round five and six and we're still digging, um, you know, by that point, we would start to have a conversation around, we can do 42 rounds. Like, let's just move this to a, a retainer or an hourly exploration or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where that way, if they're comfortable spending another, you know, $30,000 on design exploration, I'll draw weed stuff all day. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm happy to keep going. Um, but it, it, it definitely is not to a point where we need to rescope the project, but that mm-hmm. is on the horizon for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting spot, but isn't that the worst when you're looking at a situation you're like, why, what are they doing? Why aren't they just like, oh, I should have done that. Damn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, you know, I, I think it's easy to point blame, particularly like in my role as the creative director. And I have yeah. this designer who I'm paying, you know, based off the work she's producing yeah. and I have a set cap. So it's just like more money that I'm essentially losing. If you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, it's easy to be like, ah, oh, they're being difficult. They're being a pain in the ass. And in reality, it, it's never just one person. It's never no. a one-way street. It is always a group effort and mm-hmm. we need to work together to come up with the solution. Yeah, 100%. Okay, Adam, let's turn this bus around. I want you now to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. So I would say it is probably um, the Native Roots rebrand. So cool. Native Roots, coincidentally, is a, another cannabis company. They're the largest dispensary in Colorado. And I miraculously had the opportunity to, to rebrand and kind of help reposition the business about two years ago. And I'm incredibly proud of the project because for years I have felt you know, competent to, to do a big project like this. Mm-hmm. You know, This is, um, again, the biggest dispensary in Colorado, the uh, the weight of rebranding a business like this is heavy because big company, lots of employees, they have a, a large, um, you know, almost like cult like following in terms of people who love the business, and um, you know, there's some risks, of course, associated with that. And I've always felt like I could do something like that, but I never had the opportunity. Or if I had the opportunity, the budget never really justified the work it takes to really do this well. Mm-hmm. And so finally, this this was the opportunity where it's like they paid me enough to uh, justify going you know above and beyond where I could. And in doing the project, not only was the process um, you know almost as seamless as it could have been, but it was really well received. And in the the bit of market research and testing that we did afterwards, the uh, the goals of the project were met in terms of you know what we were hoping to achieve. And so to not only have everybody in the business and the community accept it and be like, this is great. Uh, but for like the numbers that, uh, you know, what would be the quantitative quality, the qualitative information to say like, yes, what you did actually worked. Uh, that was like the reassurance that I needed to say, 
you know, I can compete with the big dogs and the big agencies that are doing X, Y, and Z. I have the resources and the contractors and the pieces in play to, to execute that high level work. That's awesome. What an empowering moment. Like when it just, when it hits, when it lands and it's successful and it's not often you sort of have the, maybe it is, maybe I'm wrong here, but it's not often that you have that direct ROI correlation to this is the work we put in. This is how much better your business got. Yep. It is, it is rare to have it like that accessible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, a very empowering moment and it, it felt good and it gave me a lot of confidence, you know, in the, the last couple of years as well. Absolutely. Every time you drive by one, be like, what's up? That's my yeah. work. <laughs> what's up, weed? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was actually, it's, I'm really bad about celebrating wins in my career. And uh, Becca and I went out to eat to like celebrate once the project was done and went to, you know, like a nice restaurant and uh, was getting, I don't know if you are familiar with Habiki whiskey. It's like a no. Japanese whiskey that is, it's like my favorite drink and it's like $50 a pour. And at the end of dinner, I got two of them and I'm like, I don't even care. Like, this is my day. Up. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. That's awesome. Um, Adam, before I get into the ask it forward question here, I wanted to just check in with you to see if you have read any awesome books lately, any articles, any blogs, anything that you found particularly interesting or helpful and you wanted to shout out here. Yes. Uh, so I'm currently reading a book called the company, uh, or a company of one or the company of one mm-hmm. uh, by Paul Jarvis, I believe is the author. And it was recommended to me by my buddy, Craig Black, who is a very talented uh, designer and typographer based in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the book. The premise is basically the idea of resisting like a growth mentality. I think the perception, at least in the States is that if you are a successful business, you continue to grow, you continue to hire employees. It's just more, 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 more. And in reality, I started my business because I wanted to have a lifestyle I want. I'm yes. not, you know, I didn't start my business to grow an agency. That is some people's goal, not mine. Yep. So to resist that and to stay small is, is what I want to do. And this book is affirming that. And it's amazing so far. That sounds like a good one. And I'm actually going to pick that up and read that because on the stuff that I'm building, I'm the same. I'm not building to have a multi-million dollar business and to have a bunch of employees I'm building to give myself the power of choice. Beautifully said. And that's what this book talks about. So you would love it. Awesome. I dig it. Well, Adam, it's time for the ask it forward question. This is where I have a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So my last guest was Monty Edie. He's a graphic designer out of Milwaukee. And he wanted to ask you, now this is, kind of a question you've already answered or proven to, to have a yes answer to. So I'm going to dive a little bit deeper with it. Mm-hmm. So his question was, do you still sketch? The and is, just, and for, for clarity, does, does he know it was me who he was asking or is nope, it just yeah, no idea? Okay, cool. Uh, yes. I still sketch for sure. Definitely. So why, why do you still sketch? Where is the most value in sketching? And how do you sketch? Is it straight up paper and pencil? Do you get onto the iPad? What do you prefer? Yep. Uh, So why I sketch is, as we kind of talked about, it's just to get ideas from head to paper somewhere that won't go away. Um, I have an absolute squirrel brain. So if if I'm not getting stuff out, it's gone forever. So that would be the why. 
in terms of the how, I'm absolutely a kind of classic paper and pencil guy. Um, while yes, I could do it on an iPad, there's something about it being digital that just is not as natural. It doesn't, it's not as fluid. Um, I think because it's digital, I'm able to like nuance it and perfect it more. And that's not what I want to do. So I actually, when I sketch, I take a, like an unsharpened dull pencil. So I can't even get detail if I want to. And I sketch, uh, thumbnail sketches. So I sketch small with a dull pencil. So it's like, you can't make it look good if you tried your hardest. <laughs> and, but so what it does is it just forces me to move on and just like iterate, iterate, iterate. Yeah. And, um, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent for have an idea, move on, evolve it slightly, evolve it slightly, move on, evolve that slightly. Um, and ultimately I think that's what enables me to produce the work that I'm most proud of. hundred percent getting those ideas onto paper. Um, you could even say just those ideas out of your brain into some sort of visual format is extremely important because that's going to just be the instant connection. And that's going to be a lot easier to show or explain to a customer or client than it would be just trying to talk about it. Agreed. hundred percent. Beauty. Adam, what is the question you would like me to ask the next guest? Mm -hmm. um, so my question is about pricing and I'm interested to know whoever this person is. Um, how, when they're feeling hung up on, I'm not sure how to price this, whether that's because it's a new project, a, uh, you know, like, a, or a new, um, service that they've never really like priced out before, or maybe it's a larger project or like a, a larger scope than they're used to normally delivering. What resources do they use? Whether books, articles, blogs, conversations, people, what are they using to help ground the choice that they make for that final, you know, quote for their client. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I continually am asking other people about. Um, you know, I'm very open about pricing and those conversations. I think it, it empowers the creative community to be, to be transparent in that way. Um, and so I have my methods, but I'd really be interested to know this other person's approach to that as well. Awesome. I love that question. I'm going to ask that of the next guest, isn't it? It's interesting that that pricing sort of falls into the that sort of we don't talk about money category. It's like money is this taboo subject that nobody wants to talk about. Like it just it baffles me sometimes. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, in some ways, I get it, but in in the right context, it's like why there's no reason for it to be under the radar. You know, it's yeah, it's a good thing to talk about. I think. Yep. A hundred percent. I completely agree. Adam, you've made it to the end of the quickie podcast, man. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been awesome. I'm glad we could line this up. Dude, my pleasure. I really appreciate you. We've been trying to do this for like nine months. So thank you so <laughs> much for, uh, for continuing to stay in touch. And I'm so happy to finally like officially meet you. All right. That is the end of today's episode, everybody. Thank you so much for checking it out. And as always, if you are digging what you're hearing, the stories, these incredible guests hearing about their journey, if you're digging all of that, here on the Quickie Podcast. Take just a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Leave me a rating and a review there. Give me a thumbs up. Tell me a joke. Give me the old five stars. And then we'll just carry on with our lives and I'll keep doing some cool stuff and you can keep listening and hopefully we cross paths one day. Something like that, right? Thanks so much again and we'll see you next week. Cheers.